Hello, Money Multipliers. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah. And uh, unfortunately, today, uh, Jonah couldn't join us. He's got a sick boy at home. So he's at home doing his uh, fatherly duties, taking care of his young one. So I am here. And actually, I'm really excited about the episode today. um, Because anyways, we have a topic that's really talked about, right? It's really um, um, exposed in the world of the infinite banking concept. And I just kind of want to talk about some high levels. And really what sparked the idea of this whole podcast is is that I was talking with um, a a member of ours. And now what I would say is a friend now, uh, Mr. Mark. And um, Mark is here with me. And Mark, I'll, I'll just have you introduce yourself. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Hannah. I hope you're doing the same. It's obvious that you are. <laughs> you're nice and this morning. Uh, so let me just give you a quick overview of myself. I started in rental properties years ago, bought a few rentals, and I was very much by myself. Me and my wife did a lot of the work myself, and I was under the impression that uh, why would I want to talk to other investors? about what I was doing. If I told somebody else about a property or if there were other properties available, why wouldn't they buy it? If there's a deal out there, why would a realtor tell me about it? Why would any of that happen? And I've learned over the last couple of years, the saying that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. That is so true. And Mm -hmm. your net worth is equal to your network. So for years, I was in uh, the cabinet installation business, installing cabinets for a living. And, you know, I was just a standard worker, wage earner, making my money, trading my time for dollars. Uh, But as I started to listen to more podcasts and videos and learning about how to excel and how to, you know, widen your network, I joined the uh, South Jersey RIA. And I learned so much. And I am a prime example of your network is equal to your network. I've done more in the last couple of years than I've done in the first 10 years of investing on my own and just trying to do everything myself. So I learned in real estate, you know, I thought uh, everybody, you know, gets their own deal and kind of keeps it secret and realize there's people that want to wholesale a house or flip a house or rent a house. There's people that want to lend money to the people that are doing this. And there's people that just want to buy the note on the house or buy a lien on the property. Everybody has their own little niche that they learn and we all can help each other. And so that got me into the infinite banking because as I started to grow, I started to build capital. So now I have enough rentals and I stopped installing cabinets and I live off my rental income. But I'm thinking as I'm building capital, it's sitting in the bank and in this economy in the last couple of years, you make what 0.5% interest on your capital. That's it. To me, I, I remember years ago, you know, I could find bank accounts for four or 5% interest. And it was killing me. So within the networking that I'm doing now, I'm at a meeting one day and I just asked the question, hey, 
you know, where should I put my money while I'm waiting for a real estate deal or while I just have it sitting there that I could at least earn something on it so it's not sitting there and inflation is eating it away. And a gentleman told me, he says, oh, you got to, you know, get a whole life policy and read this book. You know, what would the Rockefellers do and Nelson Nash being your own banker? And it kind of just blew my mind. Like, what? So, <laughs> so just I'm a very over analytical type person and I had to analyze it. And it was a small, actually a small group that I was meeting in Philadelphia. I'm from New Jersey. I was meeting these guys in Philly every Saturday morning. And I told these guys, because only one gentleman knew about it and he started explaining it. And I told, you know, the rest of the group, I'm going to find out about this. This sounds too good to be true. And then I just went all in, started researching. And I told, <laughs> it's funny because I told everybody, and this is, you know, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic hit. So I told everybody, I'm going to dig into this and find out about it. And then I'll report back, you know, each meeting. And it was like a couple of meetings down the road and everything shut down. And, you know, I've seen those guys a couple of times since. But, you know, for two years, I haven't. But in the meantime, myself, I've grown a lot. I'm, I'm up to five, six, seven policies myself. I've got a policy with you and your father, a couple and I'm just enjoying the benefits. I can see that the concept now, and and that's how the topic came up for today. Because I'm still learning, you know. Even though, okay, I get it, and you're putting money away, and you're leaving a legacy. There's always something new to learn. There's always, oh well, why why should I do it this way? Why can't I do it that way? So that's why I figured, hey. You know, I, I appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the, the 1090 split. I've been digging into that a little bit and just want to know more about it. Perfect. Perfect, Mark. No, honestly, yes, that's exactly how we met. I know you've been in real estate and you're a real estate investor for 10 plus years now. And we met you through a, a local uh, gentleman that actually we met at a at the Ohio RIA. So, so another real estate meetup. And I really, I, I just want to comment. I really like what you said that the last statement of you can never stop learning, right? Isn't that one of Nelson Nash's uh, uh, statements in his book of overbecoming the human behaviors, the arrival syndrome, right? It's never hit that arrival syndrome because we can't know everything. There's always more things to know. And, and you're right. I, I will agree with you. I didn't say it. You did. You are an analytical. <laughs> and really, that, that's what sparked this conversation. Because truthfully, you, you do remind me of actually my mom's personality. Mom's an engineer, right? And that's as analytical as they can come. So I really enjoyed our conversation and that's why I wanted to bring it to the rest of the community and open the doors of, Hey, why, why are folks talking about a 1090 design? Why are people doing 1090s, 2575, 4060s, 5050s, maybe even a hundred percent base? Why are people doing that? And so truthfully, I guess I want, first thing I want to say is, is that 
if you do not understand when when I say 1090, and what I mean by that is 10% base, 90% paid up additions rider. That goes into the policy design. So I have a video explaining the base and the paid up additions and why they're on there, et cetera. And I'll link that in the description of this video. So you can pause here, go watch that video, and then come back because if you don't, you may get lost. Okay. All right. So let's hop into it. I, I get I guess let's talk about why, right? Because the first thing that you came up and you asked me is, you know, you, you kind of asked, you know, hey, I, I see other people, you know, I'm doing my research out here on YouTube, Google, et cetera. And I see other people talking about these different policy designs, you know, why would somebody want a 1090 policy design? And the first thing that comes to my mind is the liquidity of it, right? I can use my dollars right now, now, now. And I know that's what really inspired you of those 1090 designs because you're in the real estate world. You want to take those dollars out and then to go buy cash flowing assets with that money. And, and that, that is a pro, right? Because in my opinion, there's no silver bullet out there that's going to fit everybody's specific needs and their where they're at in life right now, right? I, I mean, like, I get it. If I if there's somebody out there that's just in that financial hamster wheel, they're not even cash flow positive right now, and they're just trying to break those bonds of what they're in of those third party debts or, or creditors out there that's knocking on their door. I get it. They may be interested in a more higher liquidity policy in the early years because they're just trying to get out of that financial hamster wheel. And and actually talking with another member, um, actually, dad says the saying sometimes, he says, the student now becomes the teacher. And and one thing that y'all really do is you you guys ask me questions all the time. And I'm like, Hmm, never even thought about that. Well, let's dive into it and let's dissect it and let's let's see what that answer is and what that really means. And so what that reminds me of is I have another member, his name is Brad. And Brad's a very successful uh, business owner. He owns a, a landscaping company. And and Brad came to me and he was like, Well, Hannah, why don't we stack these policies? You know, why wouldn't I have some policies with higher liquidity in the early years, you know, if I need that? And why wouldn't I have some policies that are better for the later year growth, right? Because do you agree? In my opinion, these policies, they truly do have a built up retirement in them, or I should say built in retirement. And I want you to be able to use this policy and these strategies to supplement income when, hey, I, I just don't want to work anymore. I just want to simply live off of my earnings and what I've made in my prosperous life. So anyways, we'll, we'll get into that. But but I guess I want to ask you, Mark, kind of like the why behind it. You know, you came to me asking about that. Is that really the, the reason that you're asking about 1090s liquidity? So I, I've heard just in the and I haven't done a ton of research on 1090s yet, but I've just heard, you know, different people talking different ways. but the the proponents of it are just like you said, they're talking about liquidity. You know, why wouldn't I want to have as much capital available now? And they tout the 1090. You just put 10 in your insurance base premium. 10 is buying the insurance and the 90% of whatever dollar amount you decide is going to PUA because then you can take 95% of that PUA out and utilize it. And for me, it would be buying real estate, I do private lending now. So I would be putting that money to work 
And back to the original concept, I want my money to work in two places. So it would be earning the interest and the dividends in the insurance plan. And now I'm also earning interest, whether I'm loaning it or I'm buying a property or something like that. So that the beauty, I guess, of the 1090 is you're more liquid, so you can buy more. Uh, other, I've heard other comments and, and people on YouTube and, uh, and researching Google explaining that you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're getting dividends more so on your base premium. So you're not getting as much dividends on your PUA rider. So, That's correct. And for the, the legacy. So, and in the beginning, I was totally like the first policy I had, I explained, I don't really care about the death benefit. I have a term life and policy. I just want to use this as a banking thing. That was all I cared about. And as you know, so now it's been three years since my first policy and only three years. And I'm thinking, well, now I see I got, you know, a couple million dollars that if I pass away, my wife is going to be okay. My kids are going to be okay. I have four boys, you know, they'll be fine if I pass away. So I'm looking at it. Okay. Maybe I do care about that, you know, whole life policy. So it seems like to me that the 90 or 1090 split is someone that wants to be more liquid and just use that money. And maybe in their younger years, like the gentleman you were talking about, or maybe even stacking those policies. And, but at the same time that say 30, 70 split, or even a 40, 60 split, you're going to get a bigger chunk of insurance right away. You're going to still have access to capital. It's going to grow the same way. Maybe it takes an, an extra year or so. I'm not sure of all the logistics because I'm not the insurance guy. <laughs> you know more than me. But, you know, people have used it. In fact, Nelson Nash, he was, a, from what I understand, was a big proponent of the insurance side and wanted you to be insured and leave a legacy and talked a lot about the 60-40 split and wanted people to be insured, leave that legacy, and then also be able to use that money now and invest it and pay himself back and pay. And one thing I didn't understand in the beginning was that you're paying the insurance company interest. And so people get hung up on that, like, oh, I'm not paying myself, I'm paying the insurance, but just pay extra. And you're not, you're not really paying the insurance in interest yourself, you're just adding paid up additions, which is That's it. just like paying yourself interest. So I do that all the time. So with my policies, if I borrow, whether or not I pay it back, I at least pay the interest to the insurance company and add PUA every year. At the end of the year, if the loan is not paid off, I'm paying off my interest because I don't want that to be compounding and I'm paying okay extra PUA on it. So that way my capital is going up. Good. You had talked about you use your policy like a um, like a checking account. All money has to go through something, whether it goes through the bank. So now I'm kind of, and I'm still analyzing this because I'm such an analytical freak. Uh, 
you know, do I want every dollar to pass through that insurance policy before it goes out into the world? It has to go somewhere. It goes into the bank. Why not go into my insurance policy and go through there? So Good. that's what I have said. So what do you think about the 1090? Like, have you heard thing about it? <laughs> Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, I have my feedback, my opinions. No, that, that I'm so glad you said that because really, so, so you, so you want to use the money to go out and build your business or build your life, build your portfolio. And, and the reason that we do that, right, is to go out and hopefully make a rates of return, start producing cash flow that's coming into our family. So my question is, you know, on a 1090 plan design, so let's think about it. Let's just use easy numbers like a 10,000 a year uh, premium, right? So 9,000 goes to the PUA, 1,000 goes to the base. So later on down the road, right, when that paid up additions rider falls off the policy and it's forced to fall off the policy, right? Because if we keep funding into it, our policy may be in jeopardy of necking, right? Becoming that modified endowment contract. So my question is, is like when you're going out and you're buying those cash flowing assets, let's say right now your passive income stream is 2000 a month. But after you go buy that this piece of property or this land, now your income is going to go up passive income to 5,000 a month. You know, where are you going to store that extra 3,000 that's coming into your pockets in your family, right? Because in that 1090 plan design, you can only put $1,000 worth of premium and maybe just a little bit of some wiggle room up to the mech, but but that's your premium, right? So so what I always say, and, and, and uh, Mark, if you join us a little bit later today, because I know we're here talking on Wednesday, and Wednesdays are my favorite days because at 4.30 Eastern time, we go live for the weekly Ask Me Anything. And uh, y'all reach out to me if you want to join in on that. You just uh, We stream it live from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, etc. So I'll get you in on that. But but I actually have a background and, and, and another member made me this background because I talk about it way too much. I, I always say, you know, base premium truly does matter, right? Do not discredit the base premium because the base premium is really kind of think of it as like your foundation, right? This is your foundation and think about it as if you're a contractor and you're building a house, right? If you do not have a strong foundation, that house is going to topple over and wobble and, and not be sturdy. So same thing with the policies, because later on down the road, that base premium really, truly does start to kick up and thrive and drive that cash value in the policy. Yeah, I know in the later years, it doesn't, right? It really does go towards that cost of insurance. And so we got to capitalize in that policy. So in my opinion, in a 1090 plan design, we're truly violating two of Nelson Nash's rules, right? One of them is capitalize, capitalize, capitalize. Do not be afraid to capitalize. And what I'm talking about is, is that when we go through life, hopefully we're bringing more dollars in, right? Hopefully I don't have a mindset that, yeah, in, in 10 years from now, I want to make, I want to be making 50% less than what I'm making now. Nobody thinks like that, right? So, so do not be afraid to capitalize, number one. And number two, he says, think long range. And it was easy for Nelson to do this because, you know, he came from the forestry business, right, where he had to think 
40, 80, 120 years down the road, way past his lifetime. Where us in, in just normal civilization, we just don't think like that, right? We we just think what we're having for dinner tonight, and I don't care about tomorrow. <laughs> right. So in the microwave world, if it's not done in a second, then it's taken too long. I like that. Yeah, I call it the McDonald's drive-through mentality. <laughs> yeah. Well, good, good. And, and here's the thing, though, is as well, right? I, I mean, so, so there's actually one thing. I guess I want to hit on is like the mindset of a person, right? Because at the end of the day. I'm not here talking about a product, you know, anybody can sell you a product, anybody can design you a product and get you a product, right? But it's the process that we're talking about of the banking function of our life, right? Where all of our wealth and all of our dollars, just like how you said earlier, Mark, all of our dollars has to flow and reside in somebody's bank. And for you folks listening, if you want to dive in more to that, The Warehouse of Wealth, R. Nelson Nash wrote that book as well, along with, I believe, Carlos Laura and, and Robert Murphy, but, but The Warehouse of Wealth. And he really does talk about how all of our wealth has to reside and flow somewhere. And truly, there's really only just one money pool out there and we're all contributing to that money pool and and actually i was going to go down a whole other route but i kind of pulled myself back but we'll talk about that later on another episode but but i i think folks just have the wrong mindset right because i, I understand why they want it it's 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 enlightening to them because they want that liquidity but at the end of the day they're not thinking past those first five years those first those first 10 years to really sustain the policy and their banking in their life right because the policy itself this is not my investment right and one thing that folks will talk about in the 1090 design is the rates of return, right? I want that high, high rate of return, which I get it. I want high rates of return, but the policy itself is not the investment. And I hone in on that every single day because the policy is nothing more than just my glorified savings account. That's how I personally view it. It's nothing more than my glorified savings account that I'm funneling the money through first to start earning the compounding interest plus dividend. And then from there, I'll take it out to go buy my investments. And so now I'm double dipping and I'm making money in two places. And on top of that, in my glorified bank account, just like you said, Mark, I got a death benefit. In my regular checking or savings account, I don't got a death benefit. So, so since I'm here talking about death benefit, I guess here's one thing I want to talk about. The insurability of a person, right? Because in a 1090 plan design, you have to add term to that policy in order to avoid the mech, right? And, and term is nothing more than, than just that term insurance that we all know about, right? Give me one second. Hold on. Yes. Yeah, so the term rider would get you up to an insurable level so you can add that extra PUF, correct? Good. That's it. That's it. It increases over the years because as you're getting term rider is going to continue to rise up. That's it. That's it. So term is nothing more than just buying that death benefit. And, and once, 
we buy that death benefit, right? It, it, it's on there. But now what we're doing is, is that we're creeping up towards our insurability because, because at the end of the day, you know, us infinite banking practitioners and folks out there being a consumer of IBC, they look at this as how much premium dollars can I stick inside of my policy, right? I want to get as much cash in there as I can. But one, what, one, thing that some folks don't understand is, is that we can never put dollars into the policy without increasing the death benefit. So it, let's say that me, um, um, you know, let's make believe I'm 35 years old and let's make believe my total insurability is $5 million. That's what the insurance company is willing to give me in death benefit. And so, so anyways, Let's make believe that my first policy, I got it and it's a 1090 plan design. And and let's say that in that first policy, I'm using up $3 million of death benefit. Well, when I come back, because I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back soon because I'm going to be making more money and I need to warehouse that money somewhere and my first contract can't simply hold it. So then when I come back, back to the insurance company, let's say I want to mimic that same exact design and I want to get another policy and it's going to buy me another 3 million of death benefit. So now I'm requesting for 6 million of death benefit to be on my body, but the insurance company is only willing to give me $5 million. So, so what folks are doing and they're not understanding is they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot because later on down the road, they're eating away at that future insurability because of that term rider that's buying them so much in death benefits is on that policy. And as we know, later on down the road, the term's going to fall off, right? It can be anywhere from a seven-year, 10-year, 15, 20, 30-year term. I mean, it's going to fall off the policy anyways. So the only way you would win is, is that if you actually passed away, died, or graduated during that time of that term, and that's not very fun, right? So I guess that's one thing. And I'll be honest, I actually ran into this with, with someone. She, she's in the real estate world as well. She wanted the liquidity and she was coming back trying to get her third policy. She only had three and she couldn't get any more because they were all designed 1090. And so from what so, I understand too, also, isn't it that um, as you grow older, it's going to cost you more. So if you get that higher base premium in the beginning and you got a larger amount that you're insured for, then later down the line, you don't need to. You could still fund that same policy, whereas if you insure yourself for a lesser amount and as you grow older, so some of the 1090 proponents are saying, well, when it max or whatever, just open a new policy because you always want to open a new policy. But when I'm even two years older, my insurance rate is going to go up because I'm two years older. When I'm 10 years older, it's going to go way up. So the older I get, the more it's going to cost for that insurance. And then the more I'm going to have to put in just for that base premium. So that's another factor you have to think about. That's it. That's it. And, and I think one more thing I just want to add on to here is, is let's talk about the MEC limit, right? Because in a 1090 plan design, when folks are adding on that term rider, let's make believe they're putting in twenty five thousand, and their MEC limit is like right there at at twenty five one hundred dollars. 
right? They're snuggled right up next to it. So, so in later on, let's say in six months from now, you get a bonus at work, or let's say you sell your motorcycle, something happens, you come into a windfall, you're not going to be eligible, eligible to dump it into that existing contract, because you're right there next to the mech limit. And actually, Mark, I, I looked at your policy right before we got on this call. And, and you are truly designed as, as what I, in my personal opinion, those 4060 policy designs, right? Those are my personal favorite policies. And truthfully, y'all, honestly, I even have policies designed 60 base, 40 paid up additions because I'm in my prime working years. I'm not really too concerned with the high liquidity right now because I want that, that, that place to be able to funnel the money through in the later years of my life and to also live off of this policy later on. So actually, anyways, I, I brought up your policy because in your policy year one, I mean, you got an $8,000 of wiggle room. So if you have that extra capital that you come into, you're able to dump it into the policy, even after you pay all of your loans back if you choose to. So th that's another reason of why I like, you know, more base rather than P way because we're not so caught up there right next to the mech limit and i'm not um kind of fighting against myself right right i love it i love it so so anyways i, I don't know so i will i'll stop here i'm i'm thinking we might do a part two i'll ask jonah because i want jonah to kind of get in here and give his thoughts and share his opinions on this but I, before I we end points Yes. But but before we end, Mark, I guess I want to ask you, did you do you have any questions for me that you want to ask or um, anything to the audience that might help them in their journey of the infinite banking concept? Now, I don't know that I have any questions. Uh, I think that um, just <laughs> it, there are a lot of people. Not a lot, but there's some of the buy term, invest the rest people out there that just shun the whole infinite banking. And I get it. Like when I first started studying it, I listened to that. And there were people that I trusted and listened to that had that theory. But the more I dug into it, I thought, you know what? The wealthy people in the world, this is what they're doing. They're buying whole life. And you know, they're insured for their whole life. They're not going to be insured for a term. And then, okay, when I'm 70, I don't have insurance anymore. And the other side thinks, well, you don't need it anymore. You're not raising a family. And I think my father just passed away. It would have been nice if he had that whole life policy and not just a term policy, you know, so you do need it. You need that insurance for your whole life. So even without the infinite banking, a whole life policy now that I'm older and wiser makes sense. And ideally, if it if you're gonna get it, why not make it a paid up addition policy and use it and use it today? And so now it becomes a policy that you're gonna benefit when you graduate and while you're here. Good, good. 
No, I love it, Mark. I, I actually, I, I would love to have you back on. I want to do another episode with you. I think you're filled with knowledge. I, I know you're a smart, smart man. And um, actually, I don't think I even told you. So I'll share this with the audience. So actually, on September 17th, I'm going to be speaking in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. So right outside Philadelphia. So if you're interested, come out there. Uh, I'd love to see you uh, buy you a cup of coffee, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. So. So, so we'll get into it. Um, I say, I say we definitely do a part two. So one thing I want to leave with, with all of you money multiplier listeners is, is that if you are an analytical, like my friend Mark here, I have a video for y'all. It's actually a colleague created this video and it really does run behind the mathematics behind it. Cause I know you hear us talk about the high levels, the pros and cons, 1090, 40, 60, 25, 75. But if you really want to dive into the numbers, send me an email and I will send you that video. My email is Hannah. H-A-N-N-A-H at the money multiplier.com. So Hannah at the money multiplier.com. I'll send you that video so you can dive into the numbers and, and really dissect what's going on. And uh, but from here, we'll close it out. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you all out in Philadelphia on uh, September 17th. We'll catch you then.